So Rafi, how is it that you can help people cure anxiety like that? You know, it's a mindset. Um, anxiety is a play of the mind. It's what they call in Chinese medicine, monkey mind. Once you let people understand the simplicity of that, then they say, oh, is it that simple? And then I show them how they breathing in certain ways that really stagnated the breath work and how to overlook the system. It's simple as that. It's like showing somebody, listen, um, you plug into the wrong plug right now. So the light's not going to go on. So just plug it to the plug next to it that doesn't have a short. Everything will be okay. It's as simple as that. How did you learn like for the first time, like when you learned that technique? Because I know you were a monk, uh, you went and studied. Was it like an aha moment? Like, oh, this is so easy or? When I studied at Chinese Medical University of Beijing, uh, my master there, I took privates. I came specifically because I had an issue. And then he said to me, listen, I'm going to teach you a lot about chronic conditions. And I'm going to teach you something called the 15 steps Tai Chi Chi Gong. And then he said to me, there's going to be some diseases that you're going to see that really easy for you to cure with them. Some people, some diseases or some conditions don't even dare to say because it's not correct. You need to know what can it heal, what it cannot heal, and you will find yourself what really works for you. Already when I start to study, I study about many things, the menstrual disorders and all kinds of things that was really not really my field, you know? And when he hit the nail and say anxiety, I knew that as a kid I had bronchitis and I had a lot of asthmatic issues. And by the way, Bruce Lee also had it. And I said, wow, that's something that for years I had it. And then I had to go through that as a kid. And I paid a lot of attention to it. And then when I came back, uh, people came to me with anxiety. And then I start to work with people and somebody come and a guy named Henry from New York. He was actually a Hasidic Jewish. And he said, Rafi, I have a problem. I met him actually in, um, in a Kabbalah event for, for uh, a Jewish holiday. And he said, you know, I'm going three times a week at the minimum to hospital. I get rushed forward to hospital because of anxiety. And he said, I will give you the world if you can fix it. I said, I don't need the world, but I need your commitment. Come to LA and we'll work on it. So he booked a flight right after that for two weeks. And he came every day for me, two weeks, uh, two days, two days, uh, two times a day. And then it was gone. And he said to me, I'm worried that when I come, when I go to New York, it will return. I said, well, by saying to me, are you you're worried? You already worried me because now you go into the pattern. Don't worry. You're done. You're good. Stay one more day so that we can remove this worry. And then we stay one more day and I said to him, you're going to practice in your hotel. You're not going to see me. Tell me at the end of the day, because it's almost like I need to, it's almost like you give wings to somebody, you need to let him go and see that he can really do it. And then uh, since then, he never got it again. He went to New York and he called me and he said, Rafi, I am just done. I don't have any issues. Later on, actually moved to Los Angeles. He's now in Los Angeles. But um, when I realized that power of qigong in healing that kind of conditions um i start to tell my students i had a lot of students that are healers themselves there are chiropractors nutritionists um, 
osteopathy doctors that give lectures all over the world and I said you know we have a lot of people with these issues and then they start to come and then one tell the other and before you know they keep on coming and like I never failed it just I never failed qigong fix anxiety it's as simple as that so I've been here at the lunch a few times when you have done the qigong and something that is interesting about this place is that from the moment you walk in you do feel like it it makes you breathe a little bit slower. Mm. The light here is beautiful. The breeze, everything. It's almost like the whole setting of everything. It drops you to be more zen. I know you have a lot of people in the entertainment business that come here. Why do you think so many people in media and film, actors, like models, why do those type of people gravitate to come here and learn from you and come to the classes? There's a, there's a very short sentence called, keep it real. I think I kept it real for them. And I give them something that we all longing for. It's connecting to your own self and to nature. It's two things that we all need all the time. So we go hiking and we go to different places. But what happened is in many times is that you go to hiking. Think about it. You said influencers. They go with a purpose. The purpose of the hiking is to get that photo they need to promote themselves. They go to film a movie. They go to Chiang Mai in Thailand. They don't even know about all the temples and what they have to give. And if they get a tour, they get a tourist tour at the minimum, a celebrity at the maximum that is worse than a tourist. Because you never touch the people. It's, it's a celebrity. He goes there. And they're going to give them the whole shebang and the show. But they never connect to the people. This is a very harsh reality that people don't understand. Celebrities lose touch with the normal life. And we all need it. We all need it. So everybody, when they come here, I give them back their life. I really give them back their life. I'm like, hey, you know, when you go party and do all those things and you want to smoke a joint and you want to do whatever you want to do, it's there. There's so many places you can go. That's not what we're giving here. Mm-hmm. I heard people like the other day, somebody says to me, well, somebody want to come. He's, he wants to come and, and have a sound bath, but he asks if he can smoke a cigar. I'm like, cigar here with a sound bath? Does he even understand what we do here? And people just trying to enforce their bad habits. I'm not saying the cigar is a bad habit, but they not, try to bring what they need to get what they need for their agenda. And they don't understand that that's not the agenda. The Tao, what we call the path, the nature, has its own path. And sometimes you need to let go so you can enjoy it. But when you all the time try to bring your agenda to nature, nature going to spit you out. And that's what happened to a lot of people. When people get anxiety, nature spit you out. When you get sadness, depression, nature spit you out because you haven't been in touch with it for so long. So now you need to be reintroduced back to nature, reintroduced to your own self, to your own intuition, to your, your own ambitions in life. The ambitions that you see everybody that having, especially we in Los Angeles, are a lot of times not not what they're supposed to do. Now, with that said, of course, that it brings also the right people that are for the industry. LA bring the best of the best in everything. Mm-hmm. 
And the best directors and the best musicians and the best actors are there and they deserve that. But even if you do that, don't lose your path. Don't lose your connection to nature. Don't lose your connection to your family. And that's something that I'm giving here and that's where they feel comfortable. And I, the girls, like the other, actually today, one girl, very nice friend. She's a beautiful model. She's an influencer. He says to me, oh, Rafi, I want to come and I want to do the Sabbath on the weekend and can I bring some girlfriends? And I said, yeah. And she said, we're going to come and I'm sure, I promise you we're going to do some content and we're going to uh, do some uh, posts for you. I said, there's no need. She said, what do you mean? You don't need? I said, it's always good to have promotion. But when I do the sound bath and when I teach you Taoism, I don't need you to be with your phone and worry about me and about the content you're giving. I need you to worry about what I'm telling you and connect to that. That would be much more important for me because you might tag me, you might put me on the story even, and for 24 hours, your girlfriend's gonna know about it and then it's forgotten. But if I change something in your mind that day, you're gonna talk about it again and again and again and again because of what you got out of here. And that's way better on so many levels. Yeah. Rafi, how do you reconcile your you have a very driven personality. Since I met you, you're like, go, 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 goal-oriented. You get stuff done. But then you have this like super sand energy and you almost flow in and out of it. Yeah. How do you manage that? I tell you what. First of all, um, somebody told me a long time ago that I have an extreme yin and yang, which is correct. I have both extremes. And I do have to navigate between the two. I can be one second in the most zen place and then I have to go and jump and do some things and immediately get on the action. I think life taught me that. If you ask me about my true core nature, it's very zen, hyperactive, but zen. So I, as a kid, I was very hyper, but the martial arts really toned me down. But when we say kid, at what stage also? Because if you look at me from age four, five, or is that, that's the age we start to remember some things, all the way to 12, I used to spend most of my time in nature. I was talking to the animals. I was bringing animals home. I was working as a volunteer in the zoo and spending hours inside the cage. All the way to one time, I stole the keys of the tigers. <laughs> And I waited because Wednesday they feed the tigers so that I knew the tigers are full. <laughs> and everybody left home in the afternoon and I went to the cage to play with the tigers. And I was like 10 years old. No way. Cookie and Yaffa, that was the name of the tigers. They love me. I play with them every time when they, when I used to come to the zoo, they run to the fence and they grind on the fence and I, I pet them and I pet and they love me. I knew they won't do anything to me. This was in Israel? Yes. Not that I recommend anybody to do it, but that was my path. I was really a nature boy. I was sitting, I built a tree house by myself. I was sitting there for hours and looking at birds. And, and whoever knows me here at the lounge know it. I, you can talk to me about very serious things, billions of dollars that you moved, whatever you want to do. And the second I see a hummingbird, I stop the conversation. I'm just, I have that inside me, that connection to nature, that it calms me down. It keeps me grounded. I can't leave it alone. God forbid, if I won't, if I won't be attached to that, I won't be in this world anymore. Yeah. There's no reason. 
That's awesome. So Rafi, when when I came and we filmed here and we did the commercial and everything, like you were all the time very like involved, and I was like, trust me, Rafi, like this is gonna look good, and then you backed off, but then you were pushing again. How has been your relationship with media and film and all of that? You're always in in touch with a lot of celebrities and people like that. You're an artist. Have you ever like gotten into like making films or like is that something you would want to do? Um, I wrote a movie. Okay. It was a TV show for two years. It's called The Immortal with Lorenzo Lamas. And if you can see the hero of the movie, his name is Raphael, that still kept my name. Okay. I was supposed to be way more involved in it. I saw some discrepancy with the people that produced it and I backed off. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy, I wrote a lot of things. I wrote, I have many stories. I, I wrote a thing called Once I Was a Dollar. I, I wrote a few things and, and they in my back. I, I all the time write things. Or I write, or I draw and paint, or I practice martial arts. It's art. So absolutely, I love the movie industry. You know, when I came back from uh, traveling, you know, when the pandemic started out, I, I did 30 days called Untouched. On, on the Jeep? Yeah. And for 30 days I was in nature and I just show uh, people I, how nature looks when it's untouched. And then I came back with this idea to make a movie called Untouched, which I never did. But the idea was very real because it was about people that they slowly bring people in that replace their arms and legs and things like that. But in the end, Everything is good because they look really young. And one guy who's a big promoter, of the, he's a celebrity, because I know the celebrity and how they get paid to do like sometimes some things that they don't even believe in, right? And, and he, he looks so good and his wife looks so good because they're the perfect couple. And I was really thinking at the time at, uh, what's his name, Brad Pitt, when he was with the... And then she touched him and she says to him, I love how you look right now. And then he realized she touched me, but I don't feel it because it's not mine. And then how we start to lose perceptive is to will. Do we want to stay young all the time and lose the touch and the feeling? Or do we want to gain it back? So this idea, for example, came to my mind. So I have many ideas in my mind, but the problem that my bless is my curse. Too many I'm, ideas? Too many. Oh, you see my lounge. I think everybody go crazy every time they go here and it's two years now they see something new if it's a rock if it's any you I, I don't even know if you saw that that i got so excited in the last few days with a video i just put that which, i said which one i put a video on instagram today that that said um for those who don't know i do throw after our parties here mm -hmm. and because last night my camera first was a fox coming in yeah, you show me the, the then coyote. a coyote and then a raccoon. I'm like, I'm having a party of all the animals here. I'm really loving it. You know, so for me, that's more exciting. So you tell me, Rafi, some celebrities come and say, oh, that's great. So Rafi, you had just had a coyote and a raccoon and a fox in the same night coming to your lounge. I'm <laughs> all and I didn't even see them. I'm like, I should have been here, you know? That's hilarious. So Rafi, you have this uh, really incredible ability to connect people. Mm. What do you think is the key to that, that you can always connect this friend with this friend and like 
this person to this person and it almost flows and like you know everybody like every time we're talking about something you're like oh yeah my friend so and so who runs this and that and like we can talk to them you know i tell you what i meet a lot of people thank god i love people right just like i love anyone i love people some people sometimes tell me oh i love dogs more than other people i love that more than people i don't think you can love one more than the other and if you do think that you love your dog more than your um People, get a kid, you know? It will change your life. Not that I have, but it's just unconditional love. It's well known. Mm -hmm. So, I love people, and I think that if you come into life and you give people without agenda to receive, because agenda is the most destructive thing. So if you come to a place and you say, I will never ask for anything and I will just give, then number one is everybody feel comfortable around you. You're not intimidating people. You don't. People don't think. And if sometimes you need to ask something, it's okay also to ask. It's also okay to ask. But the people feel comfortable, and they know that if I said that A need to point B, there was a reason. There was a reason, and I never asked to be involved. I had today. I connected somebody, and you know, and I connected two people together. And the person texts me and he said to me, Rafi, whatever we do, you get a cut. And I wrote him back, no, thank you. I like you both. Just be part of my lounge. That's good enough. Good luck. I'm not the dealer. There's some people that that's the job. I call them the 5% people. Not because they're 5% of the population. They're much more than that. They just try to take 5% of every deal that they touch. Mm -hmm. I introduce you this one, give me 5,000. I get it's 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 unnecessary you just give and connect two people together in the right way they hopefully remember and if not still be okay with that still you did something good don't expect when you expect you're gonna get disappointments so and then you start hey guys are you doing it hey they and try to hustle and also i don't want you want to introduce to somebody for a movie you think you got the right script you think he's the right guy i'm gonna give it to him and the guy says say no I don't want to be in the middle and says, well, you promised me and now you, you need to work for 5%. No. I did a connection. If that person in the end decide no, it's a no. And that's why he appreciate me because I'm just a friend. That's how I keep it. So I know a lot of people and I was fortunate enough to be enough around many people. Like, you know, I, I, I'm a friend with the Lama from... from, from uh, Nepal, and I'm a friend with a Lama from Tibet, and I'm a friend of uh, some big rabbis in Israel, and I'm a friend, I'm a friend of uh, uh, some actors and singers, and and you know different people. And I'm not here to throw names, mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter. But they're big people in the industry of music and TV, and and they love the fact that they can meet people that have nothing to do with the world because they want that insight of other people yeah they want to hear something else yeah i think my generation has lost that pure like just friendship for the sake of friendship especially here in la everyone is trying to connect with someone so they can get to something or something like that for me because i grew up in cuba we have more of that tribal like friendship where you're just making friends because you know eventually they're gonna help you but you just don't know. And then if you go in just thinking of the one thing that they can help you, then you end up not oh. getting 
You know what you say it a lot? In uh, multi-level marketing. In a multi-level marketing, immediately, everybody is a financial target. They, they groom you to think like that. And that's a problem. I love money-making techniques. Multi-level marketing also is a cool thing. But what it does to you, it makes you feel everybody have a dollar sign on his head. Everybody. And I've seen it. I've seen it even in the lounge before. And I don't allow it here. I don't allow multi-level marketing here. Every time somebody comes to me and says, I can bring you a product. Then the second they say, it's like, well, where's the product? Where I sell to this? this? No. Because this is how the society now built. It's let me sell you on something. Let me sell you on something and let me see how you become my steps on for my next, for my next uh, production of whatever. Yeah. So I'm very careful with that. And, and it said yes. And they said that if you have a good friend and you can count them in one hand, you are very lucky, my man, in your lifetimes. Mm-hmm. I can tell you in South Africa when I lived, I have my friend Johnny who is my best friend there until today. He's a Muslim, South African, uh, what they call colored. He's a mixed black and white, and uh, he's my best friend in South Africa. And I have my best friend in Israel who got shot and died with when because of him I started Bullets for Peace, David. Another Israeli, uh, Momo, who we hardly talk, but he's still my friend from childhood, so he's still my friend. And my friend here, Johnny, who is also another Johnny, by the way, who is also one of my best friends ever. Uh, so I have four. So I have a place for one more, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's it's tough to really have good friends. I think it's not something easy. I can, I have good friends. I mean, you know, Fox is a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And he's there if I need him. Um, William. William is one of my best friends. You know, um, Gladys Knight's husband, William. Mm-hmm. He is somebody, he's, he's been helping me in many, many levels. And like, we always uh, joke with each other. We have joke. We always said that whatever I make, we will share. And whatever he makes, we will share. Because we really yeah. trust each other that way, you know? Yeah. Do you ever feel lonely, even surrounded by so many people? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. If I can, and, and I think it's important also to take down the masks when you talk in public. I don't think it's, a, it's, I think it's many times become very lonely. And I'll tell you why. You know, in the, I was a monk, I'm not a monk. But I do perceive to people, and here is the thing, it's already so embedded in me to be a teacher that many, many, many people here that been my um, members, I became for them the teacher. Sooner or later it happened. Because by nature, people come to me for advice. All my life. I've been a teacher since I'm 16 years old under my teacher. Then I joined the army. Then I was a lieutenant in the Israeli army, which means I had soldiers under me who came to me for advice. And I came a, a lot of people because I was already coming for teacher. As an officer, kids that were troubled came to me for questions and, and for help. All my life, it's like that. So by nature, by the way, so that you know, when I started the lounge, I tried to get out of it. I didn't tell the first probably seven months to eight months. I didn't tell anybody that I teach Tai Chi or Kung Fu. I let other people. So I had all kinds of people come and say, oh, I do this, I do this. And I tell everybody, teach, teach, teach. What do you do? I'm just the owner of Rafi Lounge. I wanted to be 
out of the trauma. Yeah, you wanted to like create something that you could be out of it, right? Couldn't. Couldn't. For many reasons. Uh, in the end, when you become the teacher, you have responsibility. You have responsibility. You have a lot of beautiful women, and maybe sometimes you want to go out with one of them, but she look at you as That's a guidance, teacher. as a teacher. And at that moment, I can do nothing. I've, it happens to me so many times in my life that in the end of the day, you look and you say, wow, she's really nice, but I can't do anything because I have to keep my path. How have you dealt with that in your life? Because I know, like, I've been here every time I come here. Like, the first time I came, it was to film web models. It was like about 30, 40 beautiful women. We were doing the commercial and all that. And everyone is drawn to you. Uh, and like, all the guys were like, oh, Mr. Rafi. Like, I, I bet he has done some things in his lifetime because, like, you're a magnet for, for beautiful women. So, how have you dealt with that? Uh, and I'm asking, like, personally, because I've, Got divorced recently. I'm living like a new life now, and that's something that I don't know how to handle. And also, when you become, I feel like when you become a man of some status and you're doing projects and you're doing big things, then you have more women that come to you. How do you think about that? What advice do you have for a young kid like me? In Kabbalah, they say if you don't chase after things, they will come, and even the things that don't belong to you will come. But if you don't chase, but if you chase after them, they will go and even the things you think belong to you will go. So there's a play that you need to play. It's not, it's not bad to say that. There's a little game that we have of how much you pull and push. It's like Tai Chi. There's so much I can push before you're gonna pull me. There's so much pull before you're gonna push me. And men and women, and in general couples, it can be uh, between men and men, depends obviously the preferences, but women or women, there is always this game. And sometimes you need to a little bit let go. Let go. Now, um, I can tell you that probably what attracts some of the women to me is not the power that I have, that I'm the head of Rafi Lounge. I think it's part of that, yes. But when you show that you're not interested, not in a bad way, when you show that you're not available, then immediately triggering them the, the so much more, the, the willing or the, the desire to explore. Mm -hmm. Now, you have to be true to yourself too. And it cannot be a tool too much. It can be into a certain level, but not a tool. I, I don't know if you saw me, but when most of girls come here and they, some of them hug me, but a lot of the people, they're like, I, and I'm like, almost I give them the monk mentality again. Because first, let's, let's, let's see who, what, and, and maybe one day it will be the right woman. And then, then it's different story, of course. I, I think that, you know, monks in Taoism, by the way, there's two sects. One of them are getting married. You know, you saw the Lama that came here two weeks ago. He have a kid. He talked about it, which means he's not necessarily a monk. So I think it's important by nature we should be attracted. So, but how much you are going after is going to determine. Be who you are. Be the man you are. Uh, allow women to your life, and at the same time, be cautious. Now, again, what do I mean? Be cautious is don't be overexcited. 
in the beginning. It it never works. It never works. I I many times I thought that pouring your heart to a woman and say how much I really enjoy would be nice. It never worked. That's reality. It it's sad, but that's reality. You just have to give it in quantities. It works for us the same. If you have a woman that's gonna call you in five minutes, hey, I miss you, I miss you. After ten minutes, you say, or oh, fifteen minutes, or oh, one hour, you say, done. There's so much you can take, and it needs to be in quantities. Then slowly, slowly, you grow the love between you, and then yes, then then and and it's okay to think about it all the time. Almost enjoy the craving. Yeah. Right. If I'm gonna give you ice cream all day long, you're gonna hate ice cream. If I'm gonna show you the ice cream, I said, hey, the ice cream is waiting for you in the end of the day after work. You're gonna think about asking me much more. That's very true, right? So, what about managing relationships and being a BC go get it type of person? Because I remember one of the classes I came and you were teaching one of the classes, and you were talking about that where you had a girlfriend that was calling you. You were like, "I'm in a meeting," and she's like, "Well, who's in a meeting at like 11 p.m.?" It's like me. <laughs> like this yeah. is what I do. Yeah. So, how have you been able to manage that? Because that mm. has been a struggle for me. Because like right now it's like nine thirty, yes, and we're here like doing the interview. So how do you handle that side of things? I think that there's always a match. There's always a soulmate. And with that said, in one stage you will have to find a happy medium. You cannot expect a woman to sit at home all day and just wait for you because you have a career to build. Unless you decide to be like me, and for two years or three years, you know that that's it. That there's not going to be a relationship. I understood that. I understood that when I took Rafi Lounge, that I'm taking a very big responsibility on my hand, and probably for the next few years, no woman will be able to sustain it. Because again, like you said, there's many women coming here, and they all hug me and 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 enjoy to be next to me, and it needs to be a very strong woman that trusts. Now, that's my case. You don't even have to deal with the trust of woman, but the fact that she can understand that you're building something for the future of the kids, for the future of a family, need to be some balance. If today the right woman come into my life, I think. By the way, I do think that when the right woman in your life, you flourish so much more with your business. A hundred percent. Every time when I see successful business people, it's because the right woman was next to them. A yeah. woman that lifts you up, a woman that helps you, that become vaita ezer lenegdo. They say in Hebrew, and there would be, and she, the woman would be a help against him. What? Why is ezer lenegdo? I said, I always, I said, what kind of a Bible? It says vaita ezer lenegdo, and she would be a help against him. Very interesting thing in the Bible. That's how it says that. But I understand that there's somebody that need to counter you so that you become better. You, she cannot. Somebody, here is the thing. I'll show it to you with friendship. You can come to me every day and say to me, "Oh, Rafi, you know my girlfriend. She did this. She did this. Says, oh, this, whatever, you know." And I'll, I'll, I'll side with you. That makes me a good friend. Absolutely not. But if you said to me, "Rafi, my girlfriend, blah blah blah," and I said, "What happened?" Well, you know, I went out with my friends and I just got home and I was so happy and suddenly she destroyed me. So, well, um, Excel. What time did you come home? Well, one o'clock. Well, don't you think it's a little bit too late to come back when a woman waiting for you at home? And then you're gonna start to think, that's a friend, Ezer Lenegdo, and she would be a help against you. It's somebody who balance you. They do not let you do sometimes. That sometimes she would tell you stop. 
She will be against the things that are going to drive you down. That's a woman that can drive you up. Not a woman that says to you, oh, hey, why are you wasting your money on the, on the baby or on the flowers wasted on my diamonds? Need to be understand. But, but a woman that really helps you is a woman that stops you from doing things that will not make you grow and help you to grow in the right direction. Very important to meet that one. So Rafi, how do you think things are going to change now? You opened the, the lounge during the lockdown and now we're out of the lockdown. What do you think is going to happen in business and in general in the next like two to three years? We had conversation yesterday, right? Yeah. Two to three years. Some people that we said yesterday, I don't want to mention the name, but he said it's going to be a total shutdown for the Web3, right? And mm -hmm. all this uh, crypto and there's going to be a lot of adjustment. I really believe that the world is going in the right direction. You know, we we live in a time, uh, when I studied Kabbalah, the head of the Kabbalah Center, his name was Rabbi Berg, he passed away and he says, you entering the time that called Oi and Ashrei, the positive and negative going to pull in so such a powerful way that you will have a, you will have no choice but to choose. You have to choose that you go with the truth and with the good, or you have to choose the other way. And this polarity, by the way, showed itself so much, like he said it will, in so many ways in the last two years, that now it's just that the Tao or God or whatever you want to call it, tell us, okay, I beat you a little bit so that you can see it. Hopefully you can see, but if not, there's going to be another hit. So I really think that the next few years is going to be another big adjustment. Eight billion people in the world right now. It's a big number. What can the world sustain as a world? How do we perceive the world? There was the summit. The world summit for climate was two weeks ago. They say we're almost on the tip of no return. We're actually on the tip of no return, I said. And I think that there's a generation that come up right now that he is in some ways way more enlightened than anybody that came to this earth for many many years i i heard about this woman that her daughter threw some things on the floor all over the floor and she shouted her and she went and she cried a little bit. and then she says to her mom i realized what i did and i'm gonna clean it and i'm gonna sit in the corner she said to her, okay and she sat in the corner and she started to sit in a yogi position and do OM. And she's two and a half years old. And she said, I never did yoga in my life. That's not my path at all. I think that people, kids that coming out are very special souls. So I think there is a good chance. And you know, I talked to Tom, right? Tom from uh, Hippoc Theory. And he said that he want to touch the kids at certain ages. And I comment to that because this new generation going to count so much more than any other generation in the history of mankind, in my opinion. Look at the path that we're growing with the invention and how we're going into the Web3. Why am I so excited about the Web3? Not because of the money. The money is great. In some ways, it means still adjustments, not to right now, but it's great. But it's the fact that it allows you to decentralize and overcome foundations and, and uh, borders and, and all kind of uh, hybrid uh, cooperation that control you and rather open to the mass to be really guarantee for each other.
And that's spirituality. If you go back in time to Taoism, Buddhism, Kabbalah, Muslim, they will all say that in the end of days, everybody will be guaranteed for each other. And that will create what we call the one, right? So I think everything from that world and from that world slowly, slowly meeting and we don't see it. But if we could see, if the veil could have taken from the people's eyes to see the truth of what's happening here, they would be excited about it. Yes, there's going to be some hardship. Yes, people are going to die. Yes, there's going to be another polarity. But it's all for the sake of making... And it's very hard to see it, by the way. When you're in wartime, if you're in Ukraine or something like that, you can see more than what you see in front of your face. And today, only. But in the big picture, there's a lot of adjustments. We lost a lot of people during pandemic. Jamie's sister died in pandemic. Chadwick Boseman died uh, from cancer, but he died in pandemic. Uh, um, one of my students said even Helen died also from cancer, but the information that we gained, and that's my main worry, I hope people did not forget. Mm -hmm. And some will, and they will have to study much harder lesson if they didn't study what they were supposed to study in this lesson. It was an amazing lesson. Sometimes there's a sentence that like, you want to do something in life, and somebody says to you, what do you think, that the whole world is going to stop just for you? But guess what? That's what happened two years. The world stopped just for you. It's exactly what happened. You can't even comprehend. Nobody ever thought that in his lifetime he would see a shutdown of the world. The world was in a shutdown. Everything is shut down. Nature took back its own creation back. I was traveling. I told you I did 30 days. I traveled all the way to Yellowstone by myself in my Jeep for 30 days. The nature, I'm standing, I was the first one to come into Yellowstone when they opened the gates. I was there 4 o'clock in the morning. And I stand by myself in front of the gazers and I just see bisons walking around in nature and nobody there. Those things, priceless. To see nature, you know, gaining back what it deserve and letting the world breathe, so nice. And suddenly you understand that your Rolex is not important and your Ferrari, you're not even driving it because nobody cares. And nobody cares about nothing. And I used to say, I used to have those Zoom meetings with people. We call it food, or food for the Soul with Gladys Knight. Mm -hmm. And I used to tell some people, hey, where's your Rolex? Uh, I don't know. So remember that. Remember. But we, mankind, we have some kind of a short memory. And I'm afraid that's going to be another two years and we're going to have another episode like that. It's probably, in my opinion, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a psychic, but in my opinion, there's going to be another episode like that and it's going to be harder with much more damage, unfortunately. And, um, you know, we're going to have a lot of polarity. I mean, look, Trump just today said that he's going to run again. It's going to bring polarity. Probably in two days before we even... I don't know when it's going to post, but probably uh, we're going to hear that Twitter is, is uh, welcoming him back. Yeah. And then we're going to have a whole uh, party going again, right? And I'm, not, I'm not saying Trump good, not good, it's not, but I know that this polarity is going to come. Yeah. It's going to come again. How do you feel about that division that everyone is talking about? Like in the last few years, also something big that happened was the racial division, political division, everyone seemingly going at each other's throat. I've always told my friends, and whenever this point of conversation comes up, I feel like we are the most peaceful and connected 
and intertwined that we have ever been. It's just that because we have media, it seems that we are the most divided that we have ever been, when in reality, now people are, f like, when you go out to the street, you don't find everyone fighting and everyone... No. It's like, you find kindness. I, I, no, you find kindness. But I tell you what, there's always both. Yin does not exist without yang. Yang does not exist without yin. You, you, you have both. I think that sensitivities and its peak. You have to be very cautious about what you say. You're, I remember that my friend, Mario Lopez, um, talked one time about kids and about how to grow up kids and how if they dress up like a girl, if they're too young, then don't let them steal. And the people got upset. They said, why you get upset with me if I raise my opinion? Isn't yeah. it all about my opinion? So I think that the polarity is one thing, but the opinions that people say, people are now afraid to say anything. So there's a whole balance here that is also mm -hmm. off. With that, the ratio is something that was always there. That's why the African-American people, they try to raise their voice because this is an undercurrent in America from the beginning of times. As you know, probably, I've got probably most of my friends in America are black. And a lot of them are black. And I'm very close to them. And I see their pain. And I see that sometimes in embedded in ways that they don't even realize how bad it is. I'll give you an example. I'm not going to mention them. But one of my friends, uh, we start to talk about his last name. And then he says, uh, I said to him, where is his last name from? And he said, well, um, probably it's from generation because it's a very English name. So whoever was the master of the house, he, you know, slept with whoever is my and then that's, I stay with the name. And then it clicked to him. And I saw the pain is in his eyes. He realized that inside himself, he carried the name of the master that enslaved his family. And then he's looking and he's like, I need to change my name. I said, yes, you should. Yes, you should. I would. I would, ch I would change it to whatever. Wherever I come from, and if I don't find the right name, then invent a new name that gives you the freedom you need because in Kabbalah they say that changing name is one of the most powerful things that you can do. Some people that they were born because their uncle died from cancer or something like that, a Kabbalah man will come and say, change your name or do name strengthening because now you carry that energy. Mm -hmm. So they carry an energy that have to do with slavery. And they feel it every day, even if we don't see that. And then we say, oh, you know what? That's just in their mind. No, it's not. No, it's not. How do you think we can change that? We have to educate many things. I have, I have some opinion. You know, usually I don't raise my political opinions because, you know, I'm bullets for peace and I'm roughly lounge. But I'll raise today my opinions for a change. I'll do some opinions here. I think a lot of things need to change. And I'm Israeli. So I do it with a whole humbleness in the world that I can because I'm not in America, I wasn't born. But I think mm. it's with all fairness. 
you need to see the weaving of this society in America and you need to start to pay respect to the people that put their lives in line to make it the greatest country in the world, which we are, and gain it back. And that, my friend, is everyone. And that, my friend, is starting with Native Americans. Where are the Native Americans? I know they got land, I know they got the money from the casino, but where are they when we come to celebrations of life and America? Where is the respect that these nations need to have I think it's such an exotic, beautiful thing that that should be put on the pedestal before anything else because they were the first ones to be on this land and they owned this land. And then the rest came. I was the last one to come. And with that said, after that, it's twinkled to the rest. It's twinkled to the African-American. It's twinkled to the Jewish that came after the camp. It's the, the, definitely the English people, you know. Everybody came and put their part. But everybody need to first, you need to start to, you know, I mean, we have those holidays and we don't really understand. I, I come from a different culture. When we have Memorial Day, nobody's happy because it's touching our heart. You talk about Memorial Day, everybody lost. I lost my whole platoon, 23 people in one shot. So it's not a happy day for anybody. We pay respect. And some holidays really needs to have something. It's not always about let's have a party, a pool party in Vegas. It's about how do we say this is the day of the native people and today there's going to be a native show all over. You know how beautiful, you know how attractive it will be for the world? Mm -hmm. We need to start there. I think that's what's missing in this country. Yeah. Do you think we have just too much wealth and everything is so nice that that's why America is like that? No. I, I come from Cuba, so I come from a communist country. We had nothing for us. The holidays were like still hard. And when I come to America, I feel like everything is so amazing, so big, so many opportunities. And what you said, like the sensitivity is so high. And then we overlook those things. And so many people have this sentiment that America is like this terrible country that is so bad and divided and doing so much harm. And I feel quite the opposite. I think this is an amazing country. I just feel like people have come to that sentiment because everything has been so good for so many years that you almost lose touch with how good everything is. Mm. And I agree with you. We need to find ways to bring that back. I never get into politics anyway because like, I'm more interested in people and stories, and that's what drives me. But every now and then the, the subject comes up. And I think what you're doing here is almost helping in that way because here like everyone comes here to the lounge you meet people from russia from like latin people like me people from ukraine people from america people from all over and at the end of the day when you sit down and you share food with people and you talk then it all feels like yeah we're all kind of going after the same thing we just want to be happy and like help other people how do you think the new generation like younger people are going to make that change and and bring that about they let's talk about nft for example right i did a small drop a test drop what we call for my nft on the weekend right mm -hmm. and then i talked to the and it was very small crowd because we wanted really to see what's happening and then i start to talk to the people on the discord 
And I said, is there any question? I explained him what happened, what was the drop. And I said, is there any question? Somebody raised their hands and I let him into the chat. And it was live. And he said, uh, my name is Hussam and I'm from Kuwait. I said, hi. And we had a very big heart-to-heart -heart conversation in front of everybody. I said to him, you know, if I wouldn't look at anything else that happened during the drop, and the only thing that happened during the drop is me meeting you, it's already me so excited about it. The beauty of connection that this generation is going to have without looking at border and differences is amazing. How people connect in the Web3 and decentralization, it's amazing. So this generation, that's the good part. I also learned that this generation don't like to, hurt, to work too hard. <laughs> they do not. The only thing they're ready to do is work on the computer for 20 hours, which is unhealthy. Like I said, it's going to create a lot of anxiety and uh, yeah. digital uh, burnout and a lot of things. But the, the beauty of how they connect to each other without seeing differences between each other is beautiful. And the more we go, I mean, the Web 2 was already a big step where people can interact with each other. But Web 3 is going to overcome institutions and it's going to allow us to really connect with each other. I think it's a generation that's going to grow into a different direction. I also see a lot of people who care about nature in the kids. And, and they're smart and they're wise and they're aldery in their thoughts. It's just that fire they need inside and to yeah. move, physically to move. So Rafi, how do you stay relevant? Because you're always like doing new things, new projects, but you're not a young kid anymore. You're not like 25. No, I'm not. But I enjoy being around young people. I enjoy young thoughts. I always say to people, if I wish you one thing, I wish you to see the world every day when you wake up in the eyes of a child. And I try to look at it like that every morning when I wake up. I, I'm telling you, I, I, nature brings it to me all the time. And I stay relevant because I surround myself with a lot of people that are in different fields and some very young as you know when i did my nft event here i brought 10 kids all of them about 19 18 and i i was i was fascinated i was listening to them i always like to shut up when it comes to kids like that because they have so much wisdom that i don't know i'm not familiar with and being in the tao and being a taoist monk before the tao means that you are in the path and when you're in a path, you need to understand nature is changing all the time. And you need to follow those changes and be part of the change. You cannot get stagnated. And mind you, um, there are much more financial successful people than me in the world, by far. And people will look at me sometimes maybe as a failure even in success in the financial world compared to the relationship I had with friends and, and the project that I did. But... I always was fascinated about the path and who do I meet and how do I get knowledge. When people go to sleep at night, I open my YouTube and I open lectures. I listen to lectures about NFT, about crypto, about um, Alan Watts. You, you know what? Alan, you know Alan Watts actually passed away. He's a lecturer. Uh, he was a professor of religion and and he was a. He, he's, he was a 
really understood the uh, Eastern philosophies like Hindus and, and, and Buddhism, Taoism, and the lectures he gave, you should, you should listen to it. It's amazing. So sometimes at night I just, and I switch and I, until I fall asleep, yeah. you know? Rafi, how do you manage or navigate your own ego and other people's egos? Because I know you are always navigating amongst people of all levels. How do you navigate that? Um, it's a good question. I think we all have ego. By the way, ego is not all bad. Sometimes it's good. It depends what do you do with this ego. Where does it drive you? And I try to stay true to my path all the time to start with. And when people come with a lot of ego, pet them. It's okay. Make them feel good. If that makes them feel good, make them feel good. As long as they don't hurt somebody else in the process of an ego, then you have to stop them. And sometimes the power is in to say no. Just like the power in listening to negativity and say no is way more powerful than talking about somebody negative. It's so hard when somebody gossip about somebody to say, you know what, I'd rather not hear that. It's so hard, and I fall into this trap all the time. But when it comes to ego of people, sometimes if you see that they're hurting somebody because of the ego, you say, you know what, thank you, but I'd rather not be in here, no matter at what cost. You have somebody who want to invest a billion dollars in your company, I don't know what. And if you see that the negative of what he talk and how he talk, remember that today it's somebody else, tomorrow it's you. You gotta stop it right there and then. So I navigate. And sometimes I have celebrity friends who like to talk about themselves a lot. But just enjoy it. It's okay. And sometimes it's ego and it's okay. Because they, you know what? Maybe they deserve. And quite frankly, most people just smile at them because they don't even listen to what they have to say. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I will sit with a celebrity and he will say some things and nobody even listens, but they all laugh when he laughs, cry when he cry, serious when he's serious, but they don't listen to what he ever talked in that conversation. Sometimes just let your own ego relax for a second so you can really hear what he says. And maybe you understand that the ego is not ego. Sometimes it's pain. Sometimes it's happiness. So just don't try to match your egos with other egos. Stay under the water, you'll be okay. So Rafi, what are you afraid of? Hmm. Good question. There's a lot of things that I'm afraid of. I'm not a brave man. I think that brave die first in the war. You know? The brave die first in the war. First of all, I always have the fear of losing the people that are close to me. That's my main fear, always. I always, almost don't, although I understand it past part of life, it's still hard for me too. I understand the cycle of life very well, but it's still a tough one. I rather, I'm, I don't want to hurt anybody. That definitely the people that are close to me. So for example, if God forbid and something happened to me, I hope that it will happen after all my loved ones will not be in this world just because of the reasons that I know the pain they will go through and I don't want to save it for them. 
So that's number one. Number two that I'm afraid of, I'm always afraid that ever I will fall into a place where I'm a burden on somebody. I think the fear of being a burden, always when I'm like sick, I don't tell anybody. Or when I'm in trouble, I don't tell people usually. I think that people don't care. I mean, I'm not saying it in a bad way, but they don't care too much. They have a lot to deal with in their own lives. So when I fall into trouble, I usually try to sort it out by myself and then move forward. Uh, if I have to go to hospital, I will not tell anybody and I'll take myself to hospital. I'm trying to always not be the burden in the, in the surrounding. You know, that's a fear that I have that people will see me as a burden. Even as an old man, uh, I would feel that I want to have in the place that I can be taken care of without somebody in my family need to take care of me. So, Rafi, I wanted to ask you about meditation and how have you used that in your life. For me, something that I did, I never was into that. And now I'm op more open to that and uh, because of friends and people like you and meeting people here and other people. What do you think is the thing that is happening there? Because to me, there has to be some kind of scientific explanation to why it works you know there's many it's a very big it's a very big subject meditation and i'll tell you why meditation is a place that put your mind in ease and your mind control everything your mind is everything your mind create your reality let's think about it as a computer when the bandwidth in your computer and the memory cells of your computer are in full capacity your computer is not functioning anymore. The battery is gone. Everything is gone. You're going to get into a shutdown. And the same with the brain and your mind. You need to give your mind a total relaxation. A total love. Because there is so many hours that we worry during the day. And the more you worry during the day, it's going to mix with your worries during the night. I know it. When things happen and you're under stress, you take it with you to bed. And your dreams evolve around trying to find solution or waking up in the middle of the night and says, Oh, I still have to pay that tomorrow morning. How am I going to do it? I'm still going to do that tomorrow. I still have to face that tomorrow. And it's, 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 it's a recipe for disaster. So understand that you have to go through those things. But just try to give yourself 10 minutes that you understand that, again, the world will stop for you. But you need to help the world. The world cannot do it without your help. Everything will stop. If you tell yourself 10 minutes in the morning, you know what? Those 10 minutes, no matter what, no matter who, I'm not going to answer, I'm not going to take phone calls. The world can wait 10 minutes so that I can tell my mind that I'm good, that I'm still part of this creation for a reason. And relax and really enjoy. Enjoy around me, enjoy my breath. It will calm you down. When it calms you down, then everything reboots properly. It will be worth much more than 10 hours of sleep that are not okay. So, can I show it scientifically? No, because I never try for the to, to find scientifically in, in, in that kind of realm. But I can tell you 
that whenever I wake up in the morning and I don't do my Qigong in the morning, my day doesn't look as good. It just doesn't. Yeah. You know? So Rafi, I know you worked in counterintelligence for a while. You did some consulting for after 9-11 and all that. What couple of things did you learn there that that normal people could use, that you use in, in your normal life? Good question. I think what I learned from that realm that I use in my life, you know, we can divide it into two because as a soldier in the Israeli army, the, you learn a lot. I think every soldier learn a lot. And then counterintelligence, when we did after September 11, few things that you know that are very important. Number one is deterrence. What is deterrence? Deterrence means that some things are one minute too late. You can teach everybody how to defend when terrorists attack you. What are the drills when a terrorist come into a building or attack in a certain way? But that's a minute too late. Deterrence is how do you create a mechanism so they don't even see you as a target and don't even think of penetrating into your facility. That's what you need to do in businesses. That's what you need to do when you protect everything. Protection is not fear. Protection is important in your life. Deterrence and understanding how to not be in situations is way more important than how to get out of situations. One day I went to Rabbi Berg, the head of the Kabbalah Center, God bless his soul. And I told him, I had a miracle today. He said, what was it? I said to him, I drove on the PCH, two trucks, smashed into each other. I was in the middle, almost got hit. Somehow I moved to the side and I ducked out of that situation. He said, that's amazing. Rafi, I also had a miracle today. I said, what is that? He said, I was never next to a car accident today. First of all, we need to understand from that two conclusions. Number one is, every day when we wake up in the morning, that's a miracle by itself. And we should thank God for that. Number two is, you need to know where to put yourself. You need to know when it's not okay and not even go there. Do not try to put yourself in conditions that you shouldn't be there. In Kabbalah, they said that if a righteous man want to help others to become righteous, do not go to a sin city because most chances is that you're not going to ha have success. You're just going to have the other, you know, impact upside down. Don't go there. Don't try to put yourself in situations that you know from the beginning they're not going to have such a good outcome, most probably. And listen to your intuition. You know, we both have a friend named Leila, right, that introduced us originally. Mm -hmm. One day, Halloween last year, ask her, she'll tell you that story. I never leave the lounge. But that day there was one of my members. He did an event in his house. He said, please come. I didn't even know that Leila. I didn't know that everybody going to be there. I went to the Halloween. First time I'm leaving the lounge. And I've been there for about an hour. I said to Leila, I need to go. I want to go eat something. She says, I'll come with you. I said, okay. So we drive. And we drive to the valley side, because that's where it was, on Ventura Boulevard. We're looking for a place to eat. Now, if you know Ventura Boulevard, there's not much happening after 10 o'clock, right? 
and we're driving, you see this little bar, and I see some cars, and I see some people, and then I said, here, let's go here. I said, no. He says, why not? It looks good. It's open. People. I said, no. She said, why? I said, I, I don't know. I don't feel it's good here. She says, Rafi, we're hungry. Let's stop here. I said, Leila, let's find another. I'm sure there's another place. It doesn't look a place that I want to be in. And you don't know where, right? But sometimes the intonation tell you, do not be in certain places. She says to me, no, no, I think that's good. I said, okay, you want to go here? That's where you want to go? We go. We park the car. We're about to get out of the car. And suddenly a huge fight starts outside with knives and everything. Wow. And I look at Ella and I said, do you still want to go inside? <laughs> do you still want to go inside? She says to me, no, 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 let's go. And we left and we found a very nice Thai restaurant, actually. So the deterrence is not something also that you can create deterrence around your life and let people understand. In business, it's very important. We say in Hebrew, an opening called a thief. You need to know the things that really trigger people to think it's okay to do things in your life. If you think that somebody, if you don't like to get slapped in the face, then the first person that try, you're going to tell him, hey, this is not okay. It's not going to pass by me. But if you laugh the first time you do it, don't be surprised if the second one slap you harder. This is life. So always deterrence is the number one that that's applicable for anything in life. And that's number one. It's called rings of security. The most, the biggest ring of security is the deterrence that you tell people, hey, go look for another place. Here, you don't want to do anything with me. And you do it with your aura, and you do it with your presence, and people will know, you know, before I'm stealing for me money, before I'm doing to him something, I don't think that's the right person. Now, you don't have to look a badass. You just need to let people know your boundaries, and it's okay. Yeah, and it does carry with you. I, I started training Krav Maga the last couple of years, mm. and I can tell, like, one time I was at a restaurant, and I go to the bathroom, and then I'm washing my hands, and there's another guy washing his hands too. And he stops and he looks at me and he's like, "Are you a fighter?" And I'm like, uh, "Not really." He's like, "He's like, yeah, yeah, you do some kind of fighting." And I was like, "Yeah, I, I trained some Krav Maga." He was like, "Oh, I could tell. I could tell by your hands. I don't know why, but it does carry out with you." So yesterday we were talking with Tom, and you were telling us about uh, the time when you went and won the world championship as Kung Fu master, as a Kung Fu fighter, that must be like a crazy story. Like when you were telling all of that, I was like seeing it as a movie in my head. What did you learn about all of that time training Kung Fu? And like, I'm curious to know, like we're all thinking Kung Fu, we think of like Kung Fu movies. And we think that that's the life that you're living. How was it different from that? And what are some, some lessons? It was like the movies? Yes. I tell you what. I talked to Eldan, who is my Kung Fu brother. You know, in, 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 in uh, Kung Fu world, somebody who trained with you at the same school, they call him Kung Fu brother because in Kung Fu, there's no belts. It's like a family tree because it was in families. Because so, it's like your clan and everyone yeah. is... So okay. Sifu is the father, Kong Ko, uh, Big brother, small brother, that's how we call. 
So my Kung Fu brother from the Israeli school, his name is Eldan. He's a Kung Fu teacher these days in Israel still. And now I'm talking to you about, I was 18, something. A few years. And he suddenly write me a message on social media. And he says, Rafi, I got to stop my life for a second and thank you. Because I realize how many times you used to pull me in the middle of the night to train and do things that I realized that this generation will never see again. We used to train 8 to 10 hours a day. We used to leave home 3, 4 in the afternoon and come back after 12 o'clock at night and have the enjoyment in staying late and sweat and do more push-ups and more punching and more kicking and we were warriors we were just going for it like nobody else we trained and that's why when i after that went to hong kong to train it was a no brainer for me it was no problem i was so excited i slept on a table for two years in hong kong wow and i didn't care and for me to wake up in the morning and when my teacher said to me, okay, put your incense, 18 of them, you put in the different and Kwan Kun and all those gods of the warriors and you put it and then punch until the incense finish, which is one hour. And you stand in, say, pay my low hole stance and you punch for one hour. That's all you do. And he says, okay, good, you finish. Now one hour wooden dummy. And you just do wooden dummy one hour. And then you can have breakfast. And then you go to train. And nothing. There's no nothing else. You don't go out. You don't do nothing. That's what you do every day, every day, every day for two years. And it's a training that does not exist anymore. My teacher. I took my sister, by the way. The first time she went to the Far East. After so many times I've been there. She never seen what I've seen. I said, I need to take you so you can see my life. Because you don't know me even though you're my sister. Yeah. And I took her to Hong Kong to meet my teacher. And she's like, where is the school? I said, that's the school. And it's a little tiny place, smaller than the room we're sitting right now. And this teacher sits in this little thing. And I said to you, you see this table there? She said, yeah. I said, that's my bed. We lived in no conditions. And I loved it. I'll never trade it for the world. I will do it again. And if tomorrow you tell me, Rafi, you have a holiday from Rafi Lounge, I'll go to train there again. Or in the monastery in Wudan. I just love the lifestyle. I don't think that many people will have, it's a dying art. Kung Fu and the path of those warriors, it's a dying art. I don't think it exists anymore. And me as a Kung Fu teacher, I try to revive here. And you know, even, it's a joke, you know, when, when I teach Tai Chi here, I have a bamboo stick, it's called Johnny. Johnny. Everybody know Johnny. And when people don't stand low enough, I hit them with Johnny. They went, you cannot do that. I'm like, yes, I can. I said, no, 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 you can do it, but not to our generation. I'm like, I'll do it to any generation. The only thing that you can say is, I don't want to get hit. I don't belong to Rafi Lounge. But as long as you're here, <laughs> these are the rules. But you have to be careful about how much. Again, I can't say that I can do or push the limits the way I was pushing people in Israel the way I got pushed in Israel or in Hong Kong I cannot do it here 
Rafi, that sounds very interesting. I think you should open a little Kung Fu class here and just get like, how many students would you be able to handle? Hmm. I, I used to go before the pandemic once a year to Myanmar. In Myanmar, in Mandalay, there's a monastery with 2,000 orphan kids. I used to go once a year and teach 2,000 orphan kids together. And I will do it again. I can handle 200 people here, Kung Fu class, like no problem. Yeah. But you should, it would be really interesting if you could take a few students here and really train them to become like really, really, really good. It's hard. You know, I, got, I get people like, for example, the Chiefs or the Cowboys, the football teams, they send me some people sometimes. They come, some of their, um, you know, team members come to practice me Tai Chi and Kung Fu. And with them, I can push the envelope. They're very strong. They're very disciplined, you know. But as you know, my membership here is 80%, I would say, women. Yeah, I, th I think, like, it's almost separate from the lounge. It, it would be, like, a personal project where you take three, four students and then really train them. It needs such a dedication. I can tell you. I'm going to tell you something. There's a guy who you see him sometimes... The weekends he work here at the door, he's uh, the guy at the door, Alonzo. Mm -hmm. Alonzo wanted to learn with me. So I said to him, Alonzo, go, I'm going to teach you something on the wooden dummy, practice. And he said to me, when should I stop? I said, with Karen, come in and stop and go to the front. I said, okay. Karen came in 10 minutes, 15 minutes later. And we start working and working. I don't know, and I'm running around and doing my things. And two hours later, Alonzo come to me. And he said to me, Rafi, um, you know when is Karen coming? I said, Karen is here for two hours. He says, so can I stop? He trained for two hours, solid, on the wooden army. So I knew I can take him as a student. It's the first student in America, or the second one, that I realized that I can take seriously as a Kung Fu student. I have some students that are very, very dedicated, not in the Kung Fu, more in the Tai Chi world. I have one person by the name of Dr. Wagner, who is a chiropractor, who's been practicing me for years. Very dedicated, but then we stopped. Van Helen, Alex, the drummer from Van Helen, been my Tai Chi student for many, many years, and he would. He still practice today. 20 years now. But to go to a level of Kung Fu that you hit the arms until they bruise and they have bumps on them, on the bones and everything, like I used to do, I've found one. Hopefully his ego won't step in the way, but I don't think he does. He's a very humble guy. But it's hard also to dedicate my time. That's another tough thing. Yeah. You know that all my teachers stop teaching. I'm the only one who teach till this style from our lineage. So it's a, it's you an obligation. Pass, everybody, pass that on. everybody say that, and I wish I could, but it's a very, it's a lot to learn. This Kung Fu art is not something that you learn overnight, and it's not like a wish wash. How long would it, would you need? You have to do two years, like 10 hours a day? You have to learn a long time. It also depends on the person. You can never say how long, but it's a, it's a life dedication. I still go here in the morning when nobody sees it and I still learn. Not teach, not practice, learn. There's always this little bit that I need to do. How is the handstanding? How is this? How is that? How, all the time. 
perfect again and again and again and again. It's a lifetime study. It's a matter of dedication. I don't know who today have that dedication. I don't know who. And with coming here to the lounge, I'll be happy. If you tell me right now, Rafi, there's a hundred people that are going to sit here and kick each other and punch each other and be happy with that, I'll do it. I'll do it. Tai Chi is growing. Tai Chi, we have 20, 30 students here every class, and it's cool. And every Thursday morning, I thought that it would never happen. Well, I did Qigong. People said to me, what are you doing? Sunday night, you do Qigong and Samba? Who wants to go? Everybody go party or go after the party to sleep? Like, no, I'll teach. And there was a girl that was doing Samba with me in the beginning, a different person. I said, I don't want to do it because you're going to get five, ten people, and that's not who I am. And you know, every Sunday I get 50 to 100 people here. And they come, and like you said, it's all those models and influencers and celebrities. And they come, and they don't come because they want to do anything else. They will come, they will sit, see the sunset, and they come ready to train. Mm -hmm. So I like it. But when it comes to Kung Fu, it's a different story. It's a different level of dedication. If they come, I'll teach. You know what they say, when the student is ready, the master will show up. So, Rafa, if you could do anything in life, and like we were having dinner today, and you said that you feel like you have another lifetime just to live, even though you have already lived probably five lifetimes, what would you do if time was not an issue and money was not an issue? <laughs> today, I showed you how the fox and the coyotes and the raccoons came here. I would have created a natural resort that is also a part of the Rafi Lounge and create sanctuaries for abandoned animals that are wild animals. There's a lot of animals, for example, when I did my travel with the Untouched, I saw a lot of mustangs, wild mustangs, that had a lot of issues because there's not enough food in their location. I would gladly be in nature and create retreats. I would gladly go back to Wudan Mountains and train more and be with the masters there. Gladly I would go there any given time. You tell me, Rafi, go back and become a monk again. I would gladly do it. I will also gladly be with the right woman and enjoy life. I think there's a lot of things still that I need to do. Art. There's another art that I want to do with glass blowing. I always wanted to do it. Never had the chance to do it, but I will do it. I have a lot of things I still want to achieve. I think we're in the beginning. I think I just turned my page. It's only stage two for me. I really want you to check out this interview with my friend Peter Hurley. Peter is the best headshot photographer in the world and in the episode he teaches me and you how to look amazing on every photograph and also how to look confident all of the time. Check out that episode, it's really good.